Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. It is the 14th of December, and um, we're going to jump right into a conversation with Colin Hansen from the Gospel Coalition. But let me highlight one uh, one headline before we um, before we go there, and that is that outgoing Democratic Representative Tulsi Gabbard uh, has introduced a piece of legislation that you, as a pro life Christian, um, can endorse. Uh, and so she has joined Republican Representative um, Marquane Mullen. They have introduced a a piece of legislation related to Title IX. It protects uh, female athletes based on biological sex. Now, interestingly, if when you read the coverage of this out there um, in the secular media, one of the things you're going to see are scare quote scare quotes around the term biological sex, as if that does not mean on the face what it means. It does mean what it means. Biological sex means XX or XY. That's what we're talking about. Uh, Title IX was designed to protect women um, or actually to provide for women in sports, particularly at the collegiate level. And so that's really what this conversation is ultimately about. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard has said in her um, in her own advocacy of this, you know, that I introduced the Protect Women's Sports Act to clarify, uphold and strengthen the original intent of Title IX, ensuring a level playing field for girls and women. You're going to hear this uh, described as the introduction of anti-transgender legislation. You're going to hear it as anti-LGBTQ. I I would encourage you to hear it as um, pro-reality pro-basic biological truth, pro-basic fairness in athletic competition, pro-basic honesty when it comes to uh, education. We are talking about the protection of school sports, after all. And if in school we can't, uh, we can't be clear that in biology there's an XX or an XY and that that means something, um, then we have taken yet another step into, uh, in, into total delusion. So let's be people of truth. Let's live not by lies. Uh, And let's say what is, and that is what accords with reality. And in reality, there are those who are biologically XX and those who are biologically XY. And we ought to, um, you know, encourage real competition uh, on the playing field between those um, whose, you know, biology is the same. Okay. Colin Hansen is up next from the Gospel Coalition. He and I are going to talk about the top theological stories of 2020. Joining me now, Colin Hansen. He serves as the editorial director for the Gospel Coalition, author of several books. 
Uh, he is a friend in ministry, and we love talking with him. So today we're highlighting a piece that is posted at thegospelcoalition.org. It's the top 10 theology stories of 2020. Colin, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, it's so glad to be back here, Carmen. Thank you. So um, I uh, I tried to start a debate in, um, <clears throat> in the first hour about— uh, the veracity of Scripture and whether or not uh, the canon is closed, because like you, I I am longing for good old-fashioned theological debates. <laughs> Wouldn't that be better than the mask <laughs> debates or the corona or the vaccine debates that we're already in the middle of and that are going to ramp up? Yeah, when you look at all the chaos in the world, if you just go back and let's just fight about the Trinity or something, right? Right. Over more interesting and perhaps edifying year than what we have uh, just experienced in 2020. So that's actually how you uh, how you lead off your piece. Um, I appreciated that. Let's talk. Let's just pause for a moment and talk about um, why unity among Christians does matter in terms of our public witness, um, because that seems to be really for me as an evangelical Christian, um, the, the the driving headline over the last four years has actually been division uh, among Christians, and that's a sad headline uh, in terms of our public witness. Hey, you're right, Carmen. I hadn't really thought about it exactly in those terms, but I think you're right as we look back. One of the trends that stood out in 2020 is that while this is a theological story uh, list, I mean, talking about the top 10 theology stories of 2020, a lot of people who agree ostensibly about their theology disagree quite a bit about their politics, so they disagree quite a bit about sort of how the Christian faith ought to be applied in the world. And one of the trends of 2020 is that you might have been friends for decades, you might have been in the same church, you might have covenanted together in church leadership, you might have been able to sign onto the same confessional statement as perhaps even leaders in that church, but a disagreement over masks might have been enough for your relationship to end permanently, the side of heaven. That's what we saw in 2020. Now, you can multiply that to politics in general, to race relations, to uh, all kinds of different things, to vaccines. But you're right. That's one of the main trends that we've seen in 2020, those cultural and political divides among Christians who do agree theologically. All right, let's jump into the list. Um, and let me just say at the outset, Colin and I are acknowledging that uh, we are uh, living in the United States of America and that we're right. evangelical Christians, and we sort of recognize that that gives us um, uh, a particular perspective. We're not right. going to um, we're not going to talk about international headlines related to groups of people like the Uyghurs. Um, or, right. uh, I mean, so anyway, so let's just acknowledge that at the outset. So um, going in reverse, uh, storyline number 10 in the top 10 theological stories of 2020. Yeah, well, I think it's, uh, this, this is about the rise and, and sort of threat of social media. I don't know how many of your listeners right now have been trying desperately to log on to their Gmail or to YouTube. Oh, no, or I already talked but... about it because I use Google Docs <laughs> and I was paralyzed. I'm like, right. I cannot. My show notes are gone. But there, right. it's back it's... up. It's back up. I'm breathing yeah, easier. It's... Right, exactly. So that one of the developments of 2020 has been antitrust lawsuits that have been brought against Facebook and against Google. And a lot of the division that we were just talking about there, Carmen, is not some sort of abstract principle that is outside of anybody's control. 
In fact, it is a deliberate strategy that is employed by major uh, new media tech firms, these huge monopolies, unlike anything we've ever seen before. Uh, what happens is that the way they serve up information that confirms our biases and, and help, to, help us to hate other people or to distrust other people or to distrust any authority is itself a very significant theological story because it undermines our ability to trust any other Christians, to trust our pastors, because we saw something out there. And there was a Netflix documentary this year called The Social Dilemma that helped people, many, I think, for the first time to understand that this is a deliberate strategy run out of Silicon Valley and not some sort of accident. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, number nine is what story does fertility tell of faith? Um, tell us about that. Okay, so this is one of those things that, Carmen, you know, you're not supposed to talk about in polite company at church. You don't go up to somebody and say, so when are you planning to have kids? Or how many kids are you planning to have? You just don't, you just don't do that kind of thing. And yet one of the things that we're seeing across the board, across the world, especially in the West, is a significant decline in fertility. And I would imagine we could probably conclude that 2020, with all of us cooped in our houses with our families, probably is going to decrease fertility even more, especially economic uncertainty does that. Well, the way this connects to theology is that uh, Philip Jenkins, the eminent historian uh, out, of, out of Baylor University, has pointed out that historically speaking, fertility tends to go very hand in hand with the strength of religion. And so in those places that are seeing decreased fertility, you're going to see decreased religion if any of the historical factors hold, which means that theologically, we need to be looking to Africa because Africa's fertility far outstrips anywhere else in the world right now, which means likely they're going to be the future leaders in the church in setting the theological agenda for the rest of the world. All right, number eight on the list is thousands of readers discover Jesus to be gentle and lowly. Um, my conversation with Dane Ortland, you guys can go back and listen to as a podcast. Uh, we aired it on the 13th of November, so you can grab that at MyFaithRadio.com. When we come back, Colin Hansen and I are going to pick up on the list. Uh, we're counting down the top, top 10 theology stories of 2020. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Colin Hansen, editorial director for the Gospel Coalition. He and I are working our way down the list of his top 10 theology stories of 2020. Um, number seven on the list, Ravi Zacharias comes under closer scrutiny after his death. Uh, number six, J.I. Packer dies at 93. Funerals are for the living, and we learn a lot about ourselves and how we remember people. That's the, uh, the context there. And then, um, Colin, let's pick up with number five on the list. Supreme Court redefines sex to include sexual orientation and gender identity. Yeah, you picked up on this earlier, right, Carmen, with your little uh, story there about Tulsi Gabbard's legislation. So one of the main trends we saw this year specifically was Neil Gorsuch, one of President Trump's nominees, redefining the Civil Rights Act um, from decades and decades and decades ago on behalf of the 6-3 majority in the Supreme Court to say that when this amendment to the Constitution says um, that, uh, or when this legislation says that we're talking about sex, it also means sexual orientation or gender identity. As you said there, for athletics, for all kinds of different things, for basic 
understandings historically of sex and gender, this is completely revolutionary. Um, now, we don't really know exactly what all that's going to mean. I also point out that um, religious liberty continues to do very well at the courts. And so Neil Gorsuch, even as he's redefining this, does not then say that, for example, this means that anybody who teaches contrary to this is, is you know, able to be sued or somehow out of line. So we don't know exactly what the implications are going to be, but this is related to uh, pres uh, you know, President-elect Biden's choice for the, uh, the director of Health and Human Services Department, who is very much on the side of, now that the law has been officially recognized, therefore, if Christians don't get in line and teach this in their schools and in their ministries, then we're going to have to shut them down. And that's, that's potentially huge news theologically and for all of us. All right. For those of you listening, that gets back to that Javier Becerra conversation that we just right. had with Adam Carrington and last week with Matt Hawkins and Ben Johnson. So um, everybody that I'm talking with is highlighting that particular nomination. So obviously we need to be paying attention to it. All right. Number four on the story list, Jerry Falwell Jr. forced to resign as president of Liberty University. Number three, George Floyd's death sparks national wave of protests over racial injustice. No question, Colin, this is a really big theological story. Yeah, so now we're in the top three. And in the top three of my top 10, I think any given year, all three of these probably would have been number one. Mm -hmm. So and they all three, as we talk about, they'll, they'll all relate to each other. And it's hard to know if any of them would have happened without the others. So we know about the long list of, of tragic deaths this year. Remains a whole lot of debate over exactly how those happened, or I should say why those happened especially. But we know the protests in and of themselves are significant and really incited a not only the, the violence we saw in our streets, but a lot of good and necessary conversations about racial injustice in the church with a theological tinge. Um, but then you've also now seen that morph into a broader conversation about the theology and the, and the coherence and the biblical resonance of topics like critical race theory, which are pretty you know, difficult to discuss, but then complicated to discuss. Most people are not well-versed in that. You saw President Trump come in and then ban critical race theory training from all federal uh, training programs, things like that. And so what started out this way as a, as a as, you know, with George Floyd's death really morphed theologically into a controversy that engulfed, I mean, most of the Southern Baptist seminaries and really the whole SBC, which is the largest Protestant denomination in the country. President Donald Trump loses re-election. Um, that being number two on your list is is going to spark controversy among some who don't think that's been decided yet. But um, I'm with you. Uh, that is a big <laughs> theological news story of the year. Well, you know, what, what I, I always try to look, Carmen, for the theological angle behind the headlines because I think we tend to assume these things. But what I noticed about President Trump is a very remarkable, and by remarkable, I mean that technically, I'm not trying to commend this or to disparage this, but a remarkable political and theological coalition. And you just saw that with the Jericho mark, March over this weekend, the different kinds of group who, people who were brought together. Theologically speaking, we're talking here about dispensational fundamentalists. We're talking about post-millennial reconstructionists, prosperity gospel preachers, reformed Baptists, Southern revivalists, I mean, there were 74 million people uh, who voted for President Trump, and that was a very wide theological coalition. 
but it was not enough. And so we'll see what that what the consequences of that will be with the Biden administration. We've already alluded to that a little bit, whether or not the left is ascendant and whether or not they'll seize upon uh, the levers of power to be able to bring a lot of theological pressure on churches and school. We'll see about that. But I think one thing I'm looking for is, does that theological coalition continue forward? Because those people don't have a lot in common. So do they continue or not? We'll see. All right. And then number one, and again, we're recognizing that any of these top three could have been the number one story this year. COVID-19 kills more than one and a half million people and counting and upends the world. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, how could probably my 11 years of doing this, this is the biggest story. Uh, we're looking again at theological dimensions on this. I think about authority, Carmen. I think about Romans thirteen seven, what that means in terms of our obedience to our government authorities. I think about thirteen uh, Hebrews thirteen seventeen, uh, what that means in terms of obedience to our church authorities. What does that actually mean? What does that entail? What does that cover? Those are the theological arguments we have now. Also, as we think about church, what are we doing right now that's going to be permanent in terms of mm-hmm. video church, in terms of those assemblies? I think that's really up for grabs. We don't really know, but those are those are theological questions that need to be answered about the nature of the church. They're not merely pragmatic arguments about what works. And so that theological debate will continue as long as this virus continues, and certainly, I think, uh, well beyond as we ease back into normal. Okay, so do you have a pen or a pencil handy, you know, or your typewriter? Yeah. Okay, yeah. here's Carmen's December <laughs> 2021 list. So a year from now, here's what I hope that, well, here's what I anticipate some of the top 10 will be. The first one is really sad. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of community carnage across the country um, where churches close permanently and the good that those, um, that those communities of faith have been doing in those communities dries up. Um, I think the post-COVID realities of despair and funerals and suicides is, uh, I I don't think we have any idea what this next year um, holds in terms of all of that. But... I have some good news headlines. <clears throat> I believe that there's going to be great success of the Abraham Accords uh, between Israel and her neighbors in the Middle East, and that that yields great gospel conversations. Um, I am I am praying that we will have a headline of the release of the Uyghur Muslims and the fall of communism in China. I mean, I'm thinking big, big headlines here. Um, and I think that conversation yields, you know, just such opportunities for evangelism. Um, I am praying that the Creed Collective and other church planting efforts here in America in some of our most neglected neighborhoods, absolutely just flourish and just have wonderful success. I think Joe Biden's version of Roman Catholicism um, in faith and practice provides all kinds of conversations for evangelism and and those of us who are evangelical Christians to speak into um, public life. I think Kamala Harris's version of Baptist theology and practice um, it does does the same thing, like lots of conversational opportunities there for evangelism. I think the religious freedom conversations related to SOGI, sexual orientation, gender identity, at the at the national level with an Biden administration. I think those are real opportunities for Christians. And then here are my top top three. I believe we're going to hear testimonies of a restoration of the Word of God to its rightful place in the life of the church and the church's rightful place in the life of the culture. We're going to have news of the ongoing worldwide, worldwide revival, but also news of genuine revival here in the United States, accompanied by a new generation of Christians— captivated by Christ, sent by him into the world as agents of his grace. And then number one, um, if a year from now you and I are even talking about, if we're even here talking about a top theological 
list, then that's news that God granted us one more year for all of us to declare the gospel, that 2021 might be the year of the Lord's favor in the lives of millions of people who would come to know him. Like, right? Those are the headlines I want to read a year from now. Amen. I like that list. I wish we'd talked ahead of my list. I could have adjusted <laughs> some things to be able to make that work. But I, I love, your, I love your, your, your optimism, your global perspective, Carmen. I love also, I mean, even some of the pessimism is realistic that, to realize that we're not through the effects of the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. We know that because we're in the middle of the spread of the disease continuing. But I, I mean, it's a, I don't think we understand what it's even done to us at this point or to our churches. One of the things I've seen, Carmen, is that maybe between 25 and 30 percent of people have not engaged. These are regular churchgoers who have not engaged with their churches at all since March. Mm. That's, the, that's the data I've seen, at least. If that's true, and I don't know if it is, we'll find out at some point. But if that's true, that would be, of course, the most devastating blow to religion in the United States in our history. Yeah. I mean, if you lose 25 to 30 percent of your people overnight, I mean, basically in a in a flash on March 15 or what? Yeah. March 15 is this last year. So we don't know what that's going to be. I'm actually working on a on a book that's called Rediscover Church. And the whole point is for churches to send this out to people so that they can be reminded of why the body of Christ is essential for them. I think you'll also love, Carmen, working on a a book with Rebecca McLaughlin called The Secular Creed. You know, all those yard signs, love is love and thing. You know, she's writing a response, especially on the sexual dimensions of all those signs. Um, And like you said, conversation starters for people. Those signs, you might see them as a threat um, with your neighbors. Actually, it's an invitation to come on in and let's start talking about Jesus. Absolutely. Let's start talking about this stuff. So, I love your positive response to these things of how we can turn these around into evangelistic uh, opportunities. I love that approach. All right, Colin Hansen, um, we are hoping that you're going to come back and talk with us on a regular basis. We love our conversations with you and what you're doing at the Gospel Coalition. Friends, you can find the article that we discussed today at thegospelcoalition.org. You're looking for the top 10 theology stories of 2020, or you're just looking for Colin Hansen. Colin, thank you so much for joining us. (laughs) Thanks, Carmen. We'll be right back. Mm, go to your brother and be reconciled. Maybe we should pause there for just a moment and consider who that means for you and I. Who, with whom do you need to be reconciled? And as a Christian... Um, You need to take the first step. I need to take the first step. Okay, uh, next up, David Aikman. He and I are going to talk about Brexit. No deal likely. We're also going to talk about what is is going on in other parts of the world, the growing Abraham Accords. We're going to touch on what's happening in China. um, And then we're going to give you an update on what is happening with refugees to and from the Tigray region. Uh, Wow, we just got refugees um, really, really suffering around the world. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Locato. The sinful nature is the stubborn, self-centered attitude that says, my way or the highway. The sinful nature is all about self, pleasing self, promoting self, preserving self. I have a sin nature, so do you. Under the right circumstances, you will do the wrong thing. You'll try not to, but you will. You have a sin nature. You were born with it. 
The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Christmas commemorates the day and the way God saved us from ourselves. The angel speaking to Mary in Matthew 1.21 says, You are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Each of us entered the world with a sin nature. God entered the world to take it away. This is Max Licato, because of Bethlehem. My name is Bond, James Bond. Dr. David Aikman, editor of Godspeed Magazine, with us again today. David, um, Brexit, no deal. Well, it's not quite clear because they've decided uh, both um, Ursula von der Leyen, the head of the European Commission, and uh, Boris Johnson, the British Prime Minister, have agreed that they will struggle to try and make something work before the deadline of the end of the year. So there is still a remote possibility of a deal. All right, remote hope. Well, you know, we we put ourselves. Um, we are people of hope, so we're gonna we're gonna hope. Obviously, the markets are responding today positively to um, to a glimmer of hope on the edge of that. So um, so we'll hold out hope for a positive year end uh, deal on Brexit. If a if a deal is not struck, um, I mean, if we end up with a no deal Brexit, what does that mean? Well, it means a lot of uncertainty for both continental and rich markets. Uh, the British market uh, sells quite a lot of their agricultural produce to the European continent and to EU countries. And, of course, the EU sells a lot of its finished products, cars and so forth, to the UK. And if there is no deal, then the... Negotiations will have to begin on World Trade Organization terms, which can take a very long time and will necessarily involve tariffs on both sides. Mm. So the real uncertainty is for both um, manufacturing organizations in the EU and British companies in, in the UK can't make any plans knowing what is going to happen, knowing what the terms are going to be. And that's um, uncertainty is the worst element in any negotiating, any trade relationship. So they'll have to clear that up before they do anything else. Yeah, and the financial markets very much like, they they don't like uncertainty. All right, let's talk about the... Let's talk about the growing Abraham Accords. This is a this is a good news story. It is a good news story. I mean, um, it's amazing, uh, and I think President Trump certainly deserves credit for this because he has provided an economic umbrella under which practical and pragmatic relations can be established between the different countries of the police region and Israel. And under this umbrella, many of the companies realize, many of the countries realize 
that they have they will do far better if they have relations with Israel, which is both the economic and the military superpower of the region, than if they keep Israel at arm's length. So it's a very promising development and promises almost to be extended to Saudi Arabia. And if that happened, that would be wonderful. All right, David. Um, let's um, let's talk about what is going on in uh, in China. Um, I'm I'm having a hard time seeing anything here that uh, doesn't just trouble my spirit and break my heart. Yes, I think I think what we need to understand about China is that the regime has more evil within it, even than Nazi Germany, and that's may be understating it because they have relentlessly cracked down on any form of dissent, much less opposition. For example, uh, poor old uh, uh, Jimmy Lai, my friend, the Hong Kong billionaire who founded Apple Daily, a, a new newspaper, he has been convicted and sent to prison and could spend the rest of his life there. Uh, The national security law prohibits any demonstrations taking place in Hong Kong against against the government, against the Chinese government or even the Hong Kong government. And various figures of that, for example, Joshua Wong, who led the student protests against Um, education reform requiring Hong Kong education to reflect the patriotic spirit of the Chinese Communist Party, he's uh, been sentenced to jail. So it's a very serious situation. And, of course, um, various companies that do business with companies in China that get certain products from the uh, from the predominantly Muslim Uyghur region of Xinjiang province, they are really beginning to experience a lot of alienation from other companies that they do business with. So it's a very difficult situation in China. There's nothing very promising happening at this time. Mm-mm-mm. All right. Um, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, I'd like to talk with you, David, a little bit about um, President-elect Biden's trade pick uh, and what you uh, what you know about this individual, if anything. And then we will pivot our attention to uh, to Africa. I want to talk a little bit about what's going on in Ethiopia. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. We like talking with uh, David Aikman about what's going on around the world, bringing the mind of Christ to bear on some international headlines. President-elect Biden has picked a longtime China critic uh, to be the top U.S. trade official. David, what, if anything, do you know um, about uh, Catherine Tai? Well, it's very hard to make generalizations about her because she has been a critic of uh, China in certain respects. But the 
the thing about Biden is he has his own limitations because of the uh, role that his funds were playing, uh, receiving money from Chinese companies and reportedly paying money to his own family account. So he has to be very sensitive not to have someone in charge of his China policy or anything to do with China who is regarded as overly sympathetic to China. So I think this particular choice, Catherine Chai, is uh, probably wiser than it would have been if he picked somebody else who had been less critical of China. Okay, and then I want to pivot here um, to Ethiopia. Apparently, we have tens of thousands of refugees from uh, the Tigray region who have now fled to Sudan. Um, it right. is beastly hot. They're, um, it's an arid part of the country. There's no infrastructure. Um, there are no resources. They're having to truck in water. Should that supply plane uh, supply chain be disrupted um, even briefly, these people are going to die of thirst, um, exposure, dehydration. There's no shade. It's a blistering December heat. Um, and there are nearly 100,000 um, Eritrean refugees in Tigray, and they have been cut off from any um, uh, from any and all relief because the violence in that country um, continues. Um, it, this is just a humanitarian disaster. It really is. It, it's the worst disaster in that part of Africa we've seen since the Ethiopian crisis a few years ago. And short of provision by aid agencies and aid, private aid companies of food and water for these blessed, benighted refugees from Tigray and other parts of Ethiopia, there's going to be a humanitarian catastrophe. When you think about um, how Westerners have responded, you know, over the course of time to to news that large group, massive, not these aren't, these are massive groups of people um, are are just in absolutely desperate straits. Um, it feels as if, David, there have been points in time in the past when we have rallied to the aid of others more quickly than we do today. Do you? Is there some sense that we've just become exhausted by the need of other people? Well, I think, you know, sort of famine exhaustion on the part of people in the West may be one factor, but also um, don't forget that people in the West have been undergoing their own economic crisis because of the restrictions imposed by response to COVID-19. And there's just a lot of exhaustion in much of the uh, European and American population with having to cope with somebody else's crisis in addition to their own unemployment and, uh, you know, mental health challenges. So the, the West as a whole is not in a very good condition. 
to respond as generously as it used to to the situation that's developing in Horn of Africa. Yeah, I just, um, that's, it's heartbreaking and, um, and I fear it is, it is going to be, it's just going to be devastating and we're going to be reporting on, um, on news that no one ever wants to, uh, have to report on. I think we're going to be talking about scores of people dead in the desert and it just breaks my heart. Um, and I'm not suggesting that I, uh, that I have a ready-made answer or know what needs to be done. I just know that that which breaks the heart of God ought, ought, ought also break our hearts. And so um want to be sensitive to what's happening and certainly pray the news um, on this front. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely need to support all of the efforts that are being made by private organizations and governments to remedy this crisis. So, um, David, you have been uh, such a faithful part of our program um, over a very long period of time, and I will not be here next Monday. And next Monday will be your last uh, ongoing regular weekly. No, no. Am I making that up? Am I? I made that up. All right. So there you go. Um, But I think that uh, when we move into the new year and um, uh, and we are looking at making a few little changes to the show, you and I are probably um, uh, coming to the time when we don't get to talk every single week. And I just wanted to be sure today to say that um, I love you and so greatly and deeply appreciate the conversations that we have opportunity to have. Well, thank you so much, Carmen. And I so much enjoy being on in discussions with you. And as much as I have the opportunity, and I'll be grateful for that. Yeah. So uh, Peter Kapsner will be uh, here with you um, next Monday. So you'll probably have to, um, you'll, you'll, that'll be a heavier lift next Monday. Okay. Okay. Thank you, dear. We'll be right back. <laughs> all right. It's, um, it's a Monday all the way around. And um, I hope that as you pray the news today, as you engage the culture, you do so, bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news, um, that you treat other people with grace with, and you just acknowledge God with deepest gratitude, that you know you're loved, like, First and foremost, that you know you're loved, that you're precious to God, that if you're feeling distant from him, all you need to do is turn toward him because God's actually drawing near to you right now. I want to thank you, as always, for joining um, with us in the conversations of the day as we seek to bring the mind of Christ to bear um, and walk our faith out into the world that God so loves in ways that honor Jesus. So today, would Jesus recognize himself in the way that I am um, interacting with other people? Would Jesus recognize himself? Because as a disciple of Jesus Christ, that's who I'm seeking to represent to the world. Not representing me, um, not representing an organization, an institution, any of that. I am representing Christ. So how is it in this season of Advent that you and I are going to represent the greatest present in all of human history? Like, how are we going to unwrap Jesus in the world today in ways that people are going to, like, just, like, expectantly enjoy? Like, what does it look like for us to give the gift of Christ to others today? That's, um, That's the evangelical spirit, sharing the gospel in word and in deed in ways that bless people. So you and I are 
blessed. I mean, it's a surpassing blessing to have a knowledge of who God is through Jesus Christ. It's a, it's just a blessing that surpasses every other blessing to have the knowledge of the gospel, to live as people who are redeemed, to live uh, substantially restored in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And then substantially restored in our relationships to ourselves. Like we only have a right understanding of who we are because we are restored in right relationship with God and who he is. And then we can turn and live in substantially redeemed relationships with others. I mean, how cool is that? That's the good news of the gospel that each one of us has sent forth into the world to share today. So as you engage and interact with others, let me encourage you to let your light shine that others might see your good works and glorify God who is in heaven. Have a blessed day, and we'll see you right back here tomorrow. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.